This film was approved under the Motion Picture Code of Self-Regulation. And now... We're thinking in terms of a film. The question is... What are we trying to do with this movie? By George. That is a good question. Is everybody happy? Then let's go. Uh, welcome to Film Frown. It's the show. Uh, it's yet another bad movie podcast. We watch a bad movie and uh, then we tell you all about it so you don't have to subject yourself to it. Really, the end goal <laughs> is to watch something so bad that it's good, which we've had some luck doing, but not lately. Uh, <laughs> I've got my fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, when I say we, I mean, hi, I'm Chris. I'm the guy whose nipples you can't see. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, it's a very misogynistic movie we're about to talk about. Um, and then the person laughing there is, uh, is uh, he's my lovey, if you will. He, it's uh, my co-host, Paul. Hello. <laughs> am I now? Am I the guy in the movie who like I give you your mission and then I pretend to not hear any of the jokes you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Right? No, I was saying Lovey, who was like his assistant. Oh, um, okay. Uh, which is really degrading to you, not to call you a woman, but an assistant, because ah, your audio is working right. fine. <laughs> So, uh, so today uh, I I uh, managed to get Sean Tilly here with us uh, to watch the film as well. Welcome, Sean. Hey, it's good to be here. Did I uh, I pronounce your name right? Yep, it's not C M Tiley. Ah, <laughs> Tiley. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, um, eighth grade biology teacher. Never again. <laughs> Was that? There's a story that, behind that. I feel like, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it just reminds me of that Key and Peel sketch. Uh, a A Ron, yeah, A A Ron. Yes, my <laughs> spouse is a teacher and she loves that. Um, what What are the things that uh, you love doing, Sean? Um, well, I really love uh, weird, campy films, so that's kind of why I was turned on to being a part of this <laughs> podcast tonight. Uh, I love knitting. Uh, I give myself my own haircuts, and I read astrological star charts. Four of those things that I just said are not true. Oh. <laughs> wow. I'm guessing. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> So, Mom, you have to decide, and if you get it right, you win a prize. Or other listeners. Paul didn't laugh at that. Okay, so... (laughs) uh, My mom listens, too, so, you know, I suppose. That's true. (laughs) So they both have their fingers crossed for knitting. That was a judgment I I made. Yep, yep. Um, So, yeah, and uh, I'm excited to maybe get Sean back on Montreal Sauce uh, because uh, he is, uh, well, I just like following him on the various socials because uh, I'm talking about you like you're not here. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds you of eighth grade. Um, 
No, I, I, I love learning about lots of uh, decentralized and open source goodies. And so uh, Sean has always been a great resource for these things. Yeah, we and, were talking before the show and I was like, okay, we got to get this guy on Montreal Sauce too because we have a ton of stuff non-bad movie related to, to talk about too uh, mm-hmm. that would fit right in. Serious stuff. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah. if we have to take it seriously, but yes. <laughs> We'll all be super into it, that's for sure. Serious Stuff is the guy, like, in the Harry Potter movie who got arrested first before they realized they were after Sirius Black. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> it was a case of mistaken identity. Um, yeah. He's like, I change into a fox, not a dog. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, tonight's film... Uh, we're kind of doing this weird theme because I, if you listen to the last live episode, which I was horrible at promoting as well, uh, <laughs> or wait, wait, is, you're listening to it because you got it uh, on your RSS feed on your podcast podcatcher thing. So yeah, the last one that you listened to, gosh, you're a loyal fan. Um, <laughs> well, I just, I just took a deep dive into like, uh, spy movies after watching you only live twice which we reviewed last time and Mm. lo and behold there's a lot of crazy spy movies and this being one um this film is called murderer's row and Mm -hmm. i apologize to sean and paul uh there is a box set it exists for all the matt helm films who is our james bond like character uh but uh, I love this DVD store that's uh, around the corner uh, and a ways, and uh, they have all these used DVDs, and so <laughs> I get myself into trouble. So I didn't get the first film. Um, so the first film is called The Silencers, and uh, it came out, as you may or may not know, <laughs> the same year that this one did. <laughs> wow. Oh, really? Yeah, so The Silencers <laughs> came out in February. It made lots of money because everyone was goo-goo gaga for, for, uh, for Dean Martin. Uh, no, for spy films. <laughs> oh, just um, for spy films in general. That probably makes more sense, actually. Yeah, and so <laughs> so they went to work on this one in July, and it was released in December. So wow, it's it's going to explain it a lot of looks, things. It kind of looks like it. Yeah, now that yeah, I think about right. it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I did like five minutes of research for this before I sat down and watched the movie. And I was amazed to know that there was like more than one film. And that, in fact, this was like adapted from a book series. Yeah. And the I was I kind of was searching a lot in the last couple of days, but found nothing. Donald Hamilton, I think, is his name. And he wrote like a ton of these books starring Matt Helms. But uh, <laughs> but. Um, I couldn't find any like any uh, of his opinions on the film because in the book he's like it there I've I read a couple of descriptions and it's very noir like very mm-hmm. dark and gritty characters and not Dean Martin at all <laughs> so <laughs> um and so and this is so tongue in cheek and there a lot of stuff I found was saying like this movie and you only live twice which we recently watched were both like huge influencers for um, the Austin Powers series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
It's from See, 1960s. This, this oh, movie ahead. just in general, it just felt like a parody to me. Like it did not feel like it was trying to be even a even a James Bond style of uh, uh of spy movie. And I feel like the earlier James Bond movies were trying to be a little bit more serious spy movie whereas You Only Live Twice had a lot more kind of gags in it. But this movie I felt like I felt like it was this was Austin Powers before Austin Powers existed, obviously, uh, because it just didn't it seemed like it didn't wasn't not trying to take itself seriously at all. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this was I felt like this straddled the line between seriousness and insincerity, if that makes any sense. Like it feels like an Americanized James Bond, but it also seems to not take it very seriously. But half the time, it's also not acting like it's a joke either yeah so I'm, yeah. I'm sitting through like half of this movie i'm like i don't know how i'm supposed to feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah to call back to a previous uh film frown that we've watched uh dr goldfoot in the bikini machine uh oh. which was i feel very much more obviously a parody uh but at the same time like i think that's a perfect description like it's trying to straddle being an actual spy movie with a plot to some extent and also being a bit um, tongue-in-cheek and and insincere about it, like acknowledging that some of what's going to happen here is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I I had the same thing as Sean. I was just, like, completely confused, like... (laughs) and and for me like what was strange is like so many of the jokes are just lost i thought like just poor timing or something like that and then like on a second viewing because yay me uh (laughs) uh, a few of them like i caught a little better but it was just like yeah is this supposed to be serious or because they yeah, yeah it's not balancing it right i feel um, like the script is almost just completely comprised of one-liners <laughs> one one-liners in between the one-liners there's just a direction that says and he lights a cigarette or and he takes a drink i mean even the serious dialogue is really really ridiculous uh you know the movie starts out and one of the first things they say is we control the most powerful bomb in the universe the sun <laughs> Ah, I love that mm-hmm. part because uh, then, like, the they have that bizarre close-up of that man in glasses, and I'm like, has he ever acted before? Because he's like a robot. Like, what what does he say? He's like, when are we gonna do? Like, yeah, oh, because yeah. they they burn the model first, and he's like, when will we put this plan into action <laughs> and destroy? <laughs> The real Washington, D.C. Yes. I love how he's That's... like sitting in the shadows and just kind of casually leans out to say his one line and then just goes back to sitting in a rigid <laughs> position. <laughs> right. That's uh, actually... That's actually kind of funny calling back to some of the Bond movies, right? Like, you never get to see the villain. And, and he just like... like pokes out of the shadows. <laughs> like... Yeah. No, but really, when are we going to do this? Uh, yeah, and then... I I also wonder where the models were for the alternative angles that were in the intro shot that we did not see burn. Because I feel oh, like yeah. they, show, they showed us like 17 different angles of Washington, D.C. with lots of fun double exposure going on to show the ray beams. 
and then there was actually one only one model that was lit on fire and burned so i honestly wonder how much money they spent on that model because i honestly believed it was <laughs> washington dc at one point yeah yeah Oh, uh, it's interesting because like the second time I watched it, like I was like, well, the first time because the effects of the beam were so cheesetastic. And then like, <laughs> yeah. it was all like layered film upon film. Right. So yeah. then when they got to the burned up Washington, it was the actual model. But like the shots before that, it was like, so now that I've seen this movie, I'm supposed to think, well, I'm not supposed to know that it's a model. And I'm like, and I surely don't think it's a model because I'm watching the traffic in the background moving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a hell of a detailed model. That's like, uh, you know, authentic SimCity level. Yeah, like what business is it of yours to be a supervillain syndicate? Fucking make like realistic toy models. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Wow. I, I like this idea too that there's like, there's these guys like uh, actually we we know someone Jonathan who was on our show and who's on Mastodon Kai he uh, he's a huge fan of trains but um, there are those other gentlemen are gentlewomen who love trains that make the models and I, I love the idea that there's somewhere there's like a model maker who not only like pays attention to crazy detail but also like can tell you the story of each character in the model. <laughs> That's Betty and Veronica. They are off to the malt shop in that blue convertible. This over here is Ted. He's on his way to work because he forgot his briefcase there. <laughs> this is George. We don't talk about George. Um, he's going through some shit right now. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I can see that. He's a farmer. Um, (laughs) He's on his way to a yoga class. That's right. (laughs) Oh, he's got to work some things out. Stretch. Just stretch. Just stretch. George. Yep. It's okay. Yeah, so you've uh, you've jumped us in to the beginning. The only thing that was before that (laughs) was the... Hey, we're, we've got to release this movie really quick, so we're gonna do some James Bond like credit sequences, but mm-hmm. uh, we're just gonna use pictures instead of moving models. Right? Yeah, I thought right. the title cards looked really dated. I agree. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty. Yeah, it was fun, but I was like, I see where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're just not putting in the effort to get all the way there. <laughs> so, so the interesting thing is, is uh, I don't know if it's explained in the other film because I haven't been able to watch it, but uh, the bad guys who have burned this model and who are so excited to win, they are called the Bureau of International Government and Order or <laughs> big O. Wow. <laughs> And uh, Matt Helms, Dean Martin, works for ICE, and that's Intelligence and Counter Espionage. Mm, okay. There's yeah. a different ICE now, and that's – I was like, really? And I was really confused <laughs> because uh, the big O's, like their whole like uh, – the scenery and everything is like a lightning bolt. And I was like, so wait, like is this like some kind of cultish like Elvis thing going on here? Yeah, I want <laughs> – 
wanted to comment on that for a moment. Like the opening scene feels like something out of the Holy Mountain. Like <laughs> you have these weird tapered pillars. You've got like a giant spinning radar dish that doesn't look like any radar dish you've ever seen. Uh, these men tensely standing in this weird, weirdly shaped room. Uh, it just it felt like a mixture of like you said something that was very cult like, but like blended in with something very serious. It was very shadow organization. <laughs> I like that considering like the whole room was black except for the pillars, right? Like right. <laughs> it was just a, a black sound stage and they put some pillars up. There's a roof, trust us. Um <laughs> Hey, I found these in the uh Forbidden Planet storage room. You want me uh to set these up? It should look pretty good, huh? <laughs> wow, they're made of styrofoam. They're so light. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stop leaning against that. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, as you as you said, Carl Malden is our our key bad guy, Julian here, and he uh, he says, you know, we've got uh, an inside man, or we've got the information. So here are the spies we need to get out of our way. And he wants, he's like, I want you to silence their voices, and uh, and I don't know, like, I don't feel like they never say his name, but in like IMDb, his name is Ironhead. That big henchman. <laughs> this makes sense. This makes sense. Yeah, now it does. Uh, I kept calling him Chrome Dome in my notes. Um, yep, yep. But which is obviously better. But <laughs> but he uh, he says what? And he's like, that's when he peeks his head out, and he's like, I want you to kill them. Uh, so it, I. It makes... uh, I'll be I'll be honest. I thought he was supposed to be some kind of a robot. Yeah. Uh, when I first saw him, because the way that they, it just must be the set and like the reflection off of his chrome dome, but it looked like it was almost glowing, like there was supposed to be something underneath it that was like sort of lighting up or something like that. And also the dialogue kind of suggested that, uh, I, and again, I'm uh, maybe as a person who spends too much time on computers all day. The dialogue sounded like we finally have access to a to this like Washington inside computer or something like that. And it I felt like they were implying that he was like a robot that had hacked Washington or something. And I was like I was strangely confused in a way that nobody in the 60s would have actually been confused because it would not have been like hacking would not have been a thing in the social consciousness at the time, I don't think. But. I yeah it it is really like the first time I watched it um yeah the he's like we finally figured it out we have someone and I was like oh okay yeah and yeah. they they show a shot of him and I was like okay he did the bad work and then right. like he hands him the photos and I was like um oh wait a second um, yeah yeah and then later when you meet the person who is like the double agent you're like Oh, now I get it. There's a double agent. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So yeah, now we get this super awesome montage of them killing these three agents, four technically. And I love this montage because this is like a movie of today. Like, I want you to kill these guys. Bam, bam, bam. Like 24 seconds and we're done. Like... It's great because later on, when we get to the hovercraft scenes, those go on forever. Um, <laughs> I did. Like, 
I'm going to be honest. I found myself hitting the 30-second skip forward button a few times, <laughs> and I don't feel like I missed anything. No. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe I missed a one-liner in there somewhere. I feel like it probably wasn't a critical one-liner to the plot here. What I really loved was uh, in the beginning with this montage, the killings are so abrupt and so random. I mean, yeah. like we're like maybe two or three minutes into the movie and someone's just arbitrarily pushed off of a cliff. Uh, my favorite death <laughs> is that people are dancing and someone just puts a small bomb on somebody else's back. <laughs> and just yeah. pats him on the back. It's like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, buddy, everything's fine. Yeah. And just, they just keep dancing like nothing happened. Lots of murders at the discotheque in this one. Lots of that happening. <laughs> yes. Yes. And. And the whole, like, dancing thing, we're going to get back to that because I'm confused yes. about how these bombs work. They've never been explained to us in the film. Yeah, the the how the bombs work doesn't make sense. And also, I don't think people danced like that. Maybe? Yeah, I'm the 60s. It's hard to say. I suppose it is. But No, I am really curious about that, too, because if you watch, like, Beach Blanket Bingo movies and all those, like, people sure. dance really strange. But then yeah. is it, like... Hollywood being like hyper weird because, or is it like right, that? How, right, you know. I feel like how because Dean Martin makes fun of like how the kids are dancing too. So I kind of feel like part of the film is sort of saying this is weird and why are people, <laughs> why do these people look like they're possessed? Dancing can be a little more rhythmic than this. But well, anyway, it's very we, hard we'll get for to that at some people point. to dance. <laughs> Lizard people, right? <laughs> oh, the uh, the Asian, uh, the Japanese agent um, was played by Soon Tech Oh, who was often on Mash. He was on MacGyver, and he's also a voice in Mulan. I thought that was cool. Um, and yeah, the guy who gets pushed off the cliff is pretty awesome because, like, the joke <laughs> there was no diving. Um, yeah there's a sign that said that yeah, yeah at the bottom <laughs> right and i was like oh right this is a comedy because at first i was really confused but yeah. now i get it yeah and then of course to identify matt helms we don't have like a picture of dean martin we have like a picture of the back of his head and they circled the drink and they're like this is his identifying characteristic <laughs> you know? yeah he's shaken not stirred and um and then we just jump right into the misogyny because he's photographing Miss January. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Yeah, this was like a whole weird setup that I wasn't expecting is that like his day job is that he's a calendar photographer. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Just knows a bunch of models that all just go by the name of the month that they're supposed to represent. <laughs> right. And he even makes uh-huh. a joke about it when someone's trying to call him. Yeah. It's like February and March and July are all you know, mixed up right. or something like that. <laughs> right. January is four months early and March is three months late. Right. I like love that because... Joke. Mm-hmm. I loved it just because I was like, yeah, that's right. I mean, you're doing a big Hollywood film, but let's not peek behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, if you're going to do a calendar, of course you'd shoot them in order. <laughs> like, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be terrible. Obviously, they shot Miss March in January. You can tell her tan isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then Dean Martin gets a drink from this automated doohickey, which 
this is all over the 60s as well, which uh, I feel like um, my grandfather told me years ago, like I, when I first bought my first house, there was all this weird wiring in the garage and all these little like boxes everywhere. <laughs> and um, and he told me like there was this idea in the 60s that you could like do like low power like low power things so that you wouldn't have to worry as much about fire. So you had all these like little junction boxes, which were, you know, I'm not an electrician, but they, <laughs> you know, they were, they were something important. And so then you could have like this push button world. So I can see that how movies like promote this idea, like, Oh yeah, he just pushes a button to get a drink, which took way longer than if he would have just picked up the damn bottle. Right. <laughs> right. What I love <laughs> yeah. is that this idea is being advanced in the sixties and now, you know, nearly 50 years later, we have nothing like it in our homes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Juicero tried, all right? They tried. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, and his assistant, Lovey, who comes in in this little uh, striped dress. Uh, the, the costumer here, I read that, uh, what was his name? Moss Mabry. He is a costumer who did lots of films that people might know of, but his probably his most famous work is he designed the red jacket of James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause. Mm. So, uh, so a lot of these clothes are just like crazy. Like the fashion then was called mod, I believe. But uh, Lovey's in this yellow and clear striped dress, and uh, he's her. She's his assistant, and. I guess they also make out. I mean, he's, you know, the star of the show, so he's got to make out with everyone. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I love how she's basically like a money penny analog, but he immediately starts necking her as she's like trying to tell him <laughs> what he needs to do for the day. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's actually taking down a letter for him while they're making out, like over his he's shoulder. She's writing. Her. <laughs> yeah. He he's dictating it to her like and it should have just been like instead of whatever it was, it should have just been like suck it James Bond. Like, <laughs> I, I do get the secretary. Um Don't worry, Frank, it, you'll get yours. <laughs> uh and it was funny because I just like clicked on her in Wikipedia and her name is Beverly Adams and she is an actress who grew up here in Edmonton. Hmm. Uh and married Fidal Sassoon and divorced him in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, I just I'm really curious if the jokes fell flat. But I guess if it was like the eleventh most successful movie in 1966, they must have not have fallen as flat as I felt they did. But, um, yeah, he gets a call from some sort of government person who turns out to be McDonald, his boss. Mm -hmm. um, and he's played by James Gregory, which I was like, this guy looks familiar. He's from Barney Miller. He's like an <laughs> inspector on that show. So okay. uh, he he goes to the bedroom to lay down, and hey, Miss January's there trying to seduce him. And uh, and we've seen her tinker with like some kind of uh, thing, which looked like the bomb that we saw go off in the discotheque. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> She pushes the button. She's like, what does this do? And he's like, uh-oh, we're going for a dip because it moves the bed to the hot tub. Um, <laughs> and we see that same cheesy effect from the beginning, some kind of light ray hitting the hot tub. Um, and uh, she's trying to get out of the bed, but he won't let her. And uh, yeah. then we see an explosion. 
Just going to get dumped into this pit of boiling fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to You Only Live Twice, which where they kill James Bond in the beginning. And it's right. like, how, right. wait, he's dead? Like, that? that's not true because this is a James Bond movie. But, like, they never explain, like, how they faked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. They just had money to piddle away on that one stunt. Yeah. So the next shot is a burned out tub and uh, James Gregory or McDonald throws a wreath in there and says, well, goodbye, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) And then we are at a wake and uh, I guess that's what I would call it. There's singing and everyone's wearing black and uh, there's, of course, nine girls uh, who simultaneously (laughs) toast to Mr. Matt Helms. I believe I read somewhere, like, I think they are in the silencer as, as well, the first movie. Um, and I forget what they're called. Oh, they're called the Slay Girls, S-L-A-Y. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, after the weird... Oh, I was going to say, back when he was pouring his drink, a random song started playing. And I was like, is this a musical? Because it was a Dean Martin song. Right, right. <laughs> It's a nice touch. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to a gas station after the wake, and it's not really a gas station because the man mechanic hits this button, and McDonald goes up the lift to a second level, which, okay. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we see uh, Dean Martin get in the car, and uh, <laughs> and the misogynistic jokes just keep going, I tell you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because we do have this technology, Sean, because they the car the seats go back and they have a TV screen in the car to to get his mission. So uh, that I love was, that that's there. like being framed as like this luxurious thing because if you think about it, the screen's actually really small. It would be very mm-hmm. difficult to pick out anything if you were actually looking at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, so we we get the lowdown, we get the mission, and. Yeah, wow, the jokes in this. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, before when he's photographing Miss January, she's in front of uh, Minnesota, and he's like, "Can you like bend over so we can see the Twin Cities a little better?" And all this stuff. It's like, wow. And then in here, like the first scene we see is like two girls kissing a guy, and Dean Martin's like, "Hey, it's a double feature." Um, <laughs> And McDonald's is like, yeah, well, this is uh, this is uh, you know a beach in France, and he's like, oh, okay, he's like cans, and then like they show a girl's butt as she walks by, and Dean Martin's like, yes, it is, yeah, and I'm just like, yeah. wow, right, wow, and the whole time that I mean, this is what I made reference to earlier, but I feel like McDonald, there was actually a point at which. Dean Martin had had so many little one-liner and generally misogynistic jokes um, that McDonald was just totally ignoring them. Like, he wasn't snickering. There was no even acknowledgement that Dean Martin had said anything. (laughs) I was almost like, is he just saying these things to himself? Can McDonald hear him? Is he a ghost? Uh, Has... Has uh, has Al showed up with Ziggy yet? What the hell is going on? 
Yeah, I mean, I started to get a moment of dread at that point where I'm starting to realize the rest of the movie might be like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, they have an interesting relationship. Uh, and then, uh, so we learned that there's the helio beam, which we've already seen destroy a model. Oh, no. And I guess uh, we saw it destroy Matt, supposedly. And Dr. Solaris is this guy in the beach chair getting kissed by people because scientists get a lot of ass. Right. All right. In this um, movie, they do, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. Speaking <laughs> of misogyny, Chris, way to go. Um, yeah, so his name is Dr. Solaris, and he's invented the helio beam. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is Naked Gun 33 and a quarter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and he's made this super helio beam, and so we've got to find him. We've got to find him. Uh, and uh, that's your mission. And he's like, if you can't find him, or if you can't save him, you're going to have to kill him. <laughs> and if they <laughs> catch you, you're going to have to kill yourself, because they can control people's minds. Right, which never comes into play, ever. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> But I I love that because that was one joke that I thought landed really well because like he's like you're gonna have to take yourself out too, and uh, Dean Martin's like no no, I I I understand, and he's like good good boy, but like he's a dog or something I don't know because uh, <laughs> he really said that, and then Dean Martin goes yeah I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, And then we see a scene uh, where a plane lands, go Pan Am, um, and Matt gets off, Dean Martin gets off the plane and his uh, Ford Thunderbird is right there waiting for him. Everyone else is like walking to the terminal. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) I was like, hey, if you produce the film, you get to, you know, call some shots here and there. Um, uh, which supposedly he did because they didn't film any of his scenes in Europe because he refused to go there. So, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing how Monte Carlo looks nothing like Southern California. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, and we learned that there's this double agent in ICE. So only the only two people that know that Dean Martin is alive is uh, MacDonald here and mm-hmm. the president. So, oh uh, yes, and the president, right? Yeah, so go rescue Solaris, who just happens to be play uh, played by the same guy who plays General Blankenship in season one of Wonder Woman. Just watch that with the spouse. <laughs> Lots of fun. Probably not as good as this film. That says a mm. lot. Um, mm. <laughs> Uh, and so it's off to Monte Carlo in our new Thunderbird for what? Some drinking and driving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, I, uh, I guess this, this tells me how much things have changed. Um, because he, first of all, he sees the, he sees the one bottle there. Right. And he's like, Oh, McDonald, you know me so well. And he opens it up and, there's a tape, re- tiny little tape recorder inside it, and it starts talking to him to give him his like his, I guess, give him more of his mission that he already had by talking to McDonald in the car in the first place. But anyway, 
It's um, like the MI6 knew that James Bond was an alcoholic, <laughs> and they just used that to their advantage. Right, right. <laughs> we've we've hidden the antidote to all this alcohol in the alcohol. You're gonna so. have to drink twice as much. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but then yeah, he just gets out his little flask and and goes. Uh, if you say one word, I'll kill you. Yeah, yeah. Because when he's talking to the bottle, he's like, uh, and and McDonald's giving him all this mission on tape. He's like, he's like, I'll show you. I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll go to AA and stop drinking altogether. Then who will you have to talk to? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Just like, okay, uh-huh. sure. And of course, uh, I, one of my favorite parts of the film and any film from back in this time is those damn projected car scenes. Yes, oh, I love it. I love it when they're in the car and they're projecting the background in there. Yes. and there's there's a part, and I I read it on the IMDb goofs, but I actually haven't gone back to look at it. Where at this part where he has the bottle, like the projection shows a curve, but he's not turning the yes. wheel. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lot of that in the projected hol- uh, hovercraft scene as well where he's driving the hovercraft down oh, the streets yeah. of Monte Carlo and you're like you can't that thing doesn't turn that fast <laughs> yes yes he's, um, he's whipping that thing around like it's a VW bug and that it's not gonna work that way but that's okay and, and there's this weird shot when they get to the hotel where you're, they're like shooting the hotel from the helicopter, which now it makes sense now that I said he didn't go to Europe. They're shooting the hotel from a helicopter and then they like do a camera zoom instead of like, you know, flying the helicopter closer or something. And then they just cut to his car pulling up at a building, <laughs> like in the middle of the zoom. And I was like, wow, that was sloppy at best. And uh, that looks like something I would have done in film school. Um, (laughs) uh, So he's going to meet Dominique, which we've already learned about on the tiny TV in the car. This is going to be his contact when he's there. And she's staying at this hotel. And uh, I assume she has a regular gig. But, you know, lots of people like to live in hotels because then someone else can pick up after you. Makes sense to me. Uh, But... The reason that we know that he has entered Dominique's room is because everywhere there is a picture of her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she even has like a record sleeve or something with her name and her picture, just in case the audience was confused. Yes. I was like, okay, like, you know, if you get a painting done of yourself, that's cool. There's a couple photographs next to the painting. Then the record sleeve. I'm like, okay, you own a discotheque. I'm getting it. But then, like, when he walks across to the couch, there's, like, four pictures on the couch of her, too. And I was like, wow, narcissism is being kind at this point. Um, Yeah, anyway, and so he puts on a song, and he, like, changes the lighting, and he thinks, like, he's going to do, like, his James Bond thing here with this woman and seduce her. And so the song that comes on happens to be a Dean Martin song, uh which was really confusing to me again right Um, i didn't think he was singing this time and it's one thing to say as the two of you who are uh um 
very talented people when it comes to coding and things. It's one thing to be like, oh, I made this. Maybe this can help you. Or if you like to do some kind of creative thing like watercolor or draw or something, you'll be like, oh, check this out. I made this. And it's another thing to say, hey, guys, let's sit down and watch the movie I star in. <laughs> you know, it just was weird for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to be in this movie, but uh, I'm only going to do it if you play all my songs in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed a little weird and i like dean martin but okay so in his little getting ready for uh for for the seduction he opens the fridge and dominique's body falls out uh and then we hear a scream simultaneously and that is Anne margaret in the pool being tickled by uh billy i think is his name and then <laughs> i'm not sure if you know but he went to yale <laughs> he's a yo man uh and carl malden and coco his uh co-conspirator are watching through a telescope and apparently malden does a different accent in every scene yeah i was really confused by this because i hear this posh british accent i'm like ah you know yeah. a bond style villain and later on his voice is completely flat with no accent at all yeah i'm just like who yeah. is this guy and apparently, like, it was a joke that he came up with, but I never caught it. Like, I think there's just too many fun jokes happening in this film. Maybe that's it. <laughs> yes. Um, right. There's just too much humor. That's why it's not funny. Yeah. And <laughs> he's a real piece of villain work, too, because, like, uh, what is he? Oh, He's like looking through a telescope at Anne Margaret and he's like, oh, I do. He says something about loving the scenery. And mm -hmm. then yeah. Coco says uh, she's like, oh, well, of course you do, especially when there's, uh, you know, a lovely young girl. sunset. Yeah. Yeah. A lovely young girl, barely clothed. And uh, and he's like, oh, honey, you're such a oh, Coco, you're such an angel. And she's she just kind of gives him a look, and then he's like, "And I can make that happen too." And I was like, "Wait, well, oh, you could kill her and make her an angel. That's a nice thing to say." Like, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so from the from the first moment that I saw Carl Malden in this, I was looking because I didn't like have that name or anything like that in my head, but I'm looking at him and I'm like, I know that I know this actor and i cannot picture what i know him from and it bothered me for about half the movie from the point where he was introduced to until almost all the way to the point at which spoiler alert he dies um where uh finally i it dawned on me that he is the uh preacher who uh who shouts about uh sulfur and fire and brimstone in the uh, Disney movie Pollyanna, that's that is what I knew him from because unfortunately I watched the movie Disney movie Pollyanna way too many times in my childhood. <laughs> but I kept seeing his face and I'm like, what? What? Where do I know him from? But he made such a he made a pretty good villain because he was sort of the villain in that movie too. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. So it's funny because uh, I, I could never come up with the joke, but uh, I was just like, it's interesting that he's like a villain trying to kill people in this movie when I know him from 
a terrible TV show that was syndicated and if there was nothing else on that I could watch, <laughs> which was like called Quincy MD, and he was the coroner who would investigate things and catch criminals. Ah, okay. So, yeah. He seemed like his character in this movie is overly trusting, I feel like. Um because there's a couple times I we'll get to it later in the plot, but there's a couple times where I feel like he just wants like he maybe he just likes Dean Martin's character so much that he just wants to believe that he's on his side in a bunch of situations and so Dean Martin can say like five or six words and suddenly uh and, and suddenly he's like all right, sure. Talk to your boss on the radio, whatever. It's uh, it's fine. You're on my side now. You see it my way. And it's like, no, you are pretty clearly crazy, and he's not going to do that, but okay. Again, like, if it was played up a little more, like, parody, like, then that would have shown through, right? Like, right, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Matt ends up at the dance club or at the discotheque, uh, and oh the dancing oh the dancing like obviously it has made paul question whether dance is even a thing um (laughs) and for me it was just like i could have watched those scenes forever and ever until they did a montage of ann margaret dancing forever and ever but uh (laughs) anyway the band in the background is playing, and that's uh, Dino, Desi, and Billy, Dean Martin's son, Desi Arnaz's son, and their friend Billy. So, hey, good for them for getting some work in Daddy's movie. And actually, Dean's son actually calls him Daddy, like as in a hip cat kind of a way, like, hey, Daddy-o kind of a thing. Um, which was like, haha, inside joke if you know who his son is, but nobody does because he only plays cover songs in a band. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, and um, yeah, Dean Martin, one of the things I caught in this scene, like when he goes into the discotheque is like, uh, in the past when I've done acting and you you do it on the stage uh, or in film, like you, you get blocking where your character, where you need to be for a scene. But there's also, like, you need some business sometimes to do when other people are talking so that you don't upstage them and people start watching right. you. <laughs> and and Dean Martin's uh, business to do, like, to make it look like he's acting is the male gaze, unfortunately. <laughs> like, every woman he walks by, he, like, leers at them. I'm like, oh, okay, good. Mm-hmm. That fits with your alcoholic character, I guess. Wow. Um so anyway, Chrome Dome is there. He's gonna kill Dean Martin. He's talking into his glasses uh, <laughs> to alert the boss what's going on, and he right. has a ring or his lightning bolt ring, perhaps uh, flips up to two prongs. So I was gonna call him the Outlet Killer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just um, has to plug in to recharge. I'm sticking with that. He's a robot. Oh, mm. nice. All signs point. You're going to re-edit this movie to make him a robot. I I like it. I'm going to, yes. Although, (laughs) if we're going to be accurate, because it's a 60s film, he's going to be a robot. Yes, he'll be a robot. (laughs) Yep. Robot. (laughs) Kill him. Uh, 
So the police arrive and they tell Anne Margaret, who's been dancing with Dean Martin and talking to him and lots of one-liner gags, uh, that Dominique is dead. And so she slaps Dean Martin and he pushes someone else. And now we get a fun fight scene because every movie needs a brawl in a bar. Uh, he's arrested. Uh, Carl Malden is at the police station to identify him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so is Coco in like a crazy dress. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I loved the, I did like the line. It was quite clever. Good writing. Um, and Sean is right. Like they're all, this entire script is just all jokes. Uh, one of the writers who worked on it worked for Martin and, uh, Lewis and wrote like most of their stuff. (laughs) So there you go. I don't know how to write a spy movie, but I know how to make jokes. Uh, but I love that, like, you know, he was, it was great. It's timely right now, I felt, because, like, Dean Martin's like, whoa, whoa, I got rights. I'm an American, even though he's in Monte Carlo. <laughs> right. Uh, and so the, the police officer says, we'll, we'll play the Star Spangled Banner when you're in the electric chair. And Dean Martin goes, ah, sorry, but if you play that, I have to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like... That's good. Well done. Uh, so he's now put in a lineup because we have Malden who says yes and Coco who won't say that he did it for whatever reason. Probably because the unfortunate part of Coco's character is that because there's so much misogyny in this film, they try to get a little even with her. So she uses her gaze and apparently she really likes Dr. Solaris and is and uh, later on, Anne Margaret refers to the fact that she thinks like uh, Malden and Coco, like while they are a couple, they like to go outside the couple and do things. So yeah, anyway. there are a lot of weird like '60s elements like that just all over the movie. Well, yeah, well said. Um, so he's putting the lineup with uh, what was it, Laverne and <laughs> Maxine <laughs> and. They're, there's, they're guys, but he's making all these jokes. Like, a, there's a sea captain and some typically-looking French man with his beret. Um, and and this scene, like, is dragged out, so I should not do it. Uh, and Margaret doesn't identify him. And so she he runs out of the police station later and says, you know, why, why didn't you do it? And she's like, well, earlier... Uh, I'm surprised she doesn't say earlier in the movie... Uh, earlier when I met you at the pool, uh, I asked you for a light and I thanked you and you said, don't mention it. So I didn't mention it. <laughs> I was like, um, okay. Uh, so then she tries to seduce Dean Martin that evening uh, to get the info about Solaris. And he's like, why are you so interested in this? Your boyfriend or something? And he's like, no, that's my, she's like, no, that's my dad. So, uh, and then we get to meet Billy again because he shows up in there and he's going to protect her. Uh, he did he box Yale. at Yale. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. Also, he's armed with $250,000 in traveler's checks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's important. It's important. Those jokes have to keep coming. <laughs> right. Uh, so basically, Anne Margaret's uh, job is Madam Exposition. So she tells us that Coco was really into her dad, and then 
he disappeared and like Carl Malden owns the, the whole Island that's out in the Bay. Um, and he's like, Oh, do they have like, uh, you know, barges there. And she's like, Oh yeah, they have all kinds of boats. And so he's like, Oh, because we were told in the car that there's some crazy ore that's needed. So he's like, he's going to sneak into the, the Island by jumping onto a, or processing plant that maybe will get onto a boat or something. I didn't really understand <laughs> what he was doing, and he got caught right away. Uh, and then yeah, he's... I loved his explanation. Uh, I was having a bar a barbecue. I ran out of charcoal. <laughs> again, like it's a it's a funny joke, but again, like okay, it's funny. Thanks for the funny joke. But then but to Paul's point, <laughs> to Paul's point, like then Julian or Carl Malden is like, okay, you're not telling the truth. And then when he gets the truth, he's like, oh, now I believe you, but it's not the truth again. Like, it's weird. He's just like, yeah. I like that answer. And, and it's funny because his cover is that he is, uh, he says he's a postcard salesman. Um, like a double bluff of some kind. But then it turns out that his cover is that he is a mobster from Chicago. So he's telling uh, Malden that he's hoping to, he was snooping around because he wanted to get some information on it to see if he could sell that information to someone else. And, uh, and Malden's like, Oh, maybe you could be part of our organization then. And it's <laughs> like, I feel like all the mobsters that I know, Okay, I don't know any mobsters. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all the mobsters I've seen in films have guys to do the kind of thing that he was doing. <laughs> like, they sit yeah. in their office and twirl their golden guns. Yeah, I mean, I think when he was presented with that explanation, his first reaction is just, you know, dishonesty and shadiness. I love that. You should be a part of our group. <laughs> What a great audition. <laughs> right. Um, right. So he uh, he's in the hovercraft being taken to the island. And uh, so my favorite part of this uh, gadget that he has, which is a harmonica, it, it's a listening device. So he pulls out like a, a thing for the earbud and then he pulls out and sticks it against the wall so we can get some exposition about the rest of the scene happening, which is a nice touch. Uh, but I, I love that he had to play it first. Like, I feel like there might, maybe this gadget is so complex that you have to play the right notes to unlock the listening device part. Otherwise it's just a regular harmonica. Right. That, that, that was my head cannon <laughs> that I was really proud of. Yeah. It's the uh, first three notes of a Dean Martin song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so Anyway, Coco comes in to uh, interrogate him a bit. So so we've captured him. We've locked him in a room. And then she comes in to interrogate him. And he's like, oh, I, I never drink, which is ha-ha, funny joke. And then he's like, well, it's warm. I don't want it warm. So she pulls out a gun on him and then shoots it towards the glass. And it's like an ice gun, huh? Nice. Nice. Yeah. She's an ice queen with an ice gun. Ouch. So, uh, 
So when he sees it, this is like, it, it was so poorly done. I was like, this is a good, good bit, you guys. Why'd you ruin it? Like, when he when he sees it happen, he's like, that's, he says cuckoo. And she's like, no, Coco. And he's like, crazy sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's a great bit. Like, yeah. But they did it so slowly and so like, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, bottoms up. And he's like, I hope so. Misogyny. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> then he, the drink knocks him out. For what reason? I don't know. Because then they just wake him up when they get to the island. <laughs> right. <laughs> he wasn't going anywhere anyway. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess we just need to get that gun in the movie for later scenes. Uh, yeah. So... They they find out he's this Chicago mobster guy and like he's in, left the country because otherwise his wife is going to get him because he owes her alimony. And so then Coco's like, oh, that's terrible. You're a terrible person. Any kids? And he's like, no, just two dogs, a poodle and the missus. And I was like, oh, that is I didn't like that. <laughs> I'm sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to now work for the bad guys, apparently. Like, they're all set, even though he has an armed guard taking him back to his room. Uh, and Carl Malden's like, yeah, we're going to have to take care of that girl you were talking to, too. And he's like, since you're working with us, I don't think you'll see it a problem that we sent her a gift and it's in your name. So, yeah, uh, Dean Martin, who has obviously seen the film You Only Live Twice, uh, lights a cigarette conspicuously in the hallway with the guard, which boom shoots him and he goes down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That's awesome because that's the same gag we just saw in the last film." Uh, but in this case, that... in this case, he throws the cigarette carton, and they do a zoom in to say to show <laughs> the Surgeon General's warning on the carton that says, "Smoking may be hazardous for your health." Oh man. Which and they lingered on it like they wanted to make sure you had time to read the Surgeon General's warning. <laughs> well, I mean, it was probably brand new back then. Yeah, it could like, be. You know, it could today. be. Yeah. But you're right. Like it was, it was such a long take that it was like you. All you needed was like them to pull out again with Dean Martin, like his face next to it, pointing to it, going, "Huh? Huh? Huh?" Um. <laughs> Uh, I forgot. It's not a video podcast. Um, so there's like this terrible fight choreography <laughs> with uh, the second guard, I think. Um, yeah. Or no, is it Ironhead? It's Ironhead in the in the hovercraft. Mm-hmm. Like it's just. And then so they're fighting, and Dean Martin like pushes him away, pushes Ironhead away because he's driving the hovercraft at this point. Yeah. And then he looks over, and all of a sudden Ironhead is blowing fire at him. <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't I, figure out the gadget for this i couldn't figure out where what was going on at all yes i mean maybe that's the explanation for the metal thing on his head like he just like has implants or he's like a robot or something to <laughs> shoot fire from his hands <laughs> he's bender he's yes he's bender that's right from futurama yeah yep Lucky for Dean Martin, he has uh, stolen uh, Coco's ice gun. So ice versus fire, huh? Right, it's classic, uh-huh. classic. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's and, that's and, the next Dean Martin song in the movie is a song of ice and fire. 
and so meanwhile, Anne Margaret is dancing at the discotheque dressed as all I can think of is the spokeswoman for parade floats. Mm. Uh, <laughs> she, her bonnet and the dress, like they're made out of flowers or something. And, 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 and wow. So like from a distance, it almost looks like a chicken suit. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Which is appropriate. Cause she, all she does is the chicken dance basically. <laughs> <laughs> for the next 20 minutes oh my gosh with and, and, with lots of different uh kaleidoscope effects yes yes like i thought yes, the... i i was because she she's put on the brooch right she's got the brooch on and we're supposed to be you know believing that that brooch is going to something is going to happen with it and the way that they did these effects and how just insane that she gets with the dancing makes me think that this is where the mind control thing has kicked in. Like maybe the brooch has programmed her to dance herself to death or something. (laughs) I can't understand what's happening here, but it seems like she's in some kind of a reverie of some kind that she can't escape. And also she seems happy about it. Well played. Like, we are rewriting this much better. It makes more sense this way. Uh, Like, what? Yeah, the B-Vision, I called it in my notes, because later on in, like, the 70s, we get those films where, like, you get the bees coming after people and things like that kaleidoscope effect. (laughs) But, But what has confused me is we've seen this little device on the brooch before, I thought, and that was when the guy got killed in the discotheque before. And so is it chemicals mixing together because it looks kind of liquidy or is it a timer of some way? I'm so confused about this thing because all that guy did was slap it on his back and the other guy was dancing for like two seconds and he exploded. Yeah. And Margaret's been dancing for 24 minutes straight. Yeah. These, <laughs> like in the film. These, yeah, we're watching. These like chemical mix bombs or something like that do seem to be extremely unreliable and unpredictable <laughs> in terms of their timing. Yeah. I think the assumption is it's meant for people that don't dance hard enough like she's like jumping up and down like she's clearly screwed up the chemical mixture and it's not gonna go off where if like you're a guy and you're like self-conscious and you're like just trying to dance along with everyone else like clearly it's gonna blow up on you (laughs) i like that it's actually based on separation it has to sit long enough that the chemicals in it can separate and then it will explode And the other thing that impressed me was, like, it was just enough of a payload to blow up and kill one person, but literally no one else in the room. <laughs> right. Like, everyone else is able to just keep dancing like nothing happened. <laughs> so uh, so the best way to save her once we race there in the hovercraft <laughs> with the really <laughs> awesome shots uh, the best way to save her is to strip her. Um, not to take the brooch off, but just take her whole dress off because 60s. Um, and so that's what he does. And he throws her dress up at the screen, which is a projection of Frank Sinatra, which every discotheque does, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, okay, another inside joke. Like, that's fun. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm certain I'm not so certain that people who go to discotheques would be all about Frank. But what do I know? Sure, right. I'm making judgments again. How terrible! So, uh, so, so then they get in her car, and he's like, "Oh, great!" Because it's not an American car. I'm assuming that's why he's upset. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and the cops are chasing them, and they're in a lot of trouble. But he drives back to the hotel. Gets his car. <laughs> gets his car, which we, we never see the exchange happen. So we're watching a film of them in a convertible with a projection behind them. And then the car turns the corner. And then the Thunderbird comes out. And I'm still like... Wait, what? I'm like... <laughs> yeah, I'm like taking notes of the film so that I can describe it for way too long and take too much of your time to listen. And... Uh, <laughs> And then, like, they're in a car with a roof, and I was like, "Wait, what just happened?" I had to rewind. Right. right. <clears throat> and why? Ta-da! The first, the first thing I thought was, "Why does her car have that weird LED thing on the back that can <laughs> <laughs> write words?" And then I re, and then yeah, they switch to the interior, and I'm like, "Why is this an interior? Is this not a? Oh, I see what happened with that cut back there." Yeah, Ford sponsored the film, man. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, he has this... this... <laughs> so so the police who are following them, uh, they're going to catch them. Like, they're shooting at them. So as he makes the little sign on the back of the car, the digital sign, say something like, I have an innocent woman with me, stop shooting, and then they won't. And so he makes this terrible joke, like, that's the French for you. They don't believe any girl's innocent. Um I was like, ouch, that's terrible. Uh, But then the way they lose the cops mostly is because the cops stop to ogle girls in bikinis. (laughs) I was like, what's happening? I was so confused. Yeah, Uh, it's it's not just misogynistic. It's also, you know, down putting up the French as well, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, weren't you dealing with a bomb just a few minutes ago? (laughs) Yes. Uh, and so now this cool part is like now that they've lost the cops, but here comes Ironhead and the bad guys, and for no reason whatsoever, unless like he has some sort of Ben Hur fantasies, Ironhead is like standing through the sunroof of a car <laughs> while <laughs> while other people are driving, and he's like shooting at them. It was so bizarre. My but... my favorite is the ejection, though. Yeah. <laughs> It's something out of a cartoon. Yeah, it really is. And it also explains why he has... I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. I just love that the car immediately crumples up, is on fire, and tumbles down a steep hill. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, the explosion of the car is pretty amazing. I do feel like the ejection, though, may explain why he has the skull, uh, the the chrome skull. Like... (laughs) I feel like maybe he's tested this before and it didn't go as well, but he survived it. <laughs> well, what what bothered me was like, I've seen movies, I've seen cartoons, and I understand how an ejector seat works. He was standing in the middle of two seats. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's like, could you hand me my coffee? Sure. Oh, shit, I hit the ejector button. I just ejected your coffee out the window. Go, go, um, gadget, robo legs, boing. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. Hmm. Uh, He's a robot. So, it's the only thing that makes the whole movie work. 
Yeah. <laughs> the whole movie. The whole movie. I mean, you could take an angle that he's just a deranged lunatic with, like, tinfoil on his head. <laughs> it could be, too. Yeah. It was funny because my first hot take of him was, like, was like, is he, like, a robo-Jewish person? Is that a yarmulke? And... And then I felt really bad because this film is so terrible to the French and women and everybody. I was like, wow, that's terrible, Chris. Like, you've been watching this movie far too long. And that was after a few seconds, right? <laughs> he has a so chrome maybe it's dreidel, not the movie. <laughs> Sorry. That's, I love it. Now I just want us to, like, switch me to robot voice so I can go dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Dean Martin is like, get me a boat. And she's like, okay. And so they get a boat and he shoots a pillow, which I didn't understand what was happening here, but it'll make a lot of sense later on. (laughs) Shoots a pillow in the boat to make sure the gun works. You know, we borrowed a boat from someone, which is out in the water right now. I'm going to shoot a hole through it. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so Malden is like, uh, set the plan in motion and, uh, and so he's talking on a microphone to like other bad guys who are now celebrating and like some doctor guy. It's the greatest part of these scenes is that Malden is using a microphone and so is everyone that's talking to him. Like bless bless this movie yeah. where like we watch other movies and people flip on screens and like you we can hear them, the camera follows them around. Yeah, they just this, talk into this the movie's air. This like yeah. Okay, let's let's be practical about this. Everyone's got a microphone, right? Right, and it's a wired <laughs> mic too. Real microphones too. That's probably how they got the audio for those shots. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. Nice. I need one of those for the show. Uh, <laughs> so so Malden, he's like, let's set the plan in motion. Meanwhile, uh, Dean. Martin has like broken into the place, tells her to stay with the boat, which she does not do. He freezes some dudes with the freeze gun. <laughs> um, and what freaked me out was the second guy that he froze was like trying really hard to stand still. Yeah. I was like, wait, yeah. that's practical makeup. I just thought you were like a mannequin. Yeah. I was like that poor guy. They're like, Oh, we need to do another take. Dean was drunk in this one. Like, <laughs> 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 Sorry. He slurred his one-liner too much. We're going to have to get the saran wrap off and redo this. Yeah. Keep holding your breath. Uh, so it turns out that his gun, he goes up to the third guard and he pulls the trigger and then he sets the gun up onto the ledge and makes a noise and the guard walks over and gets shot because the gun has a delay on it. Ah, now I get it. Um, that's a pretty cool gun. I suppose. Uh, so he gets captured, uh, and so does she, as she was trying to follow him. Um, and she has a costume change somehow. I don't understand. And Coco, <laughs> Coco even says, like, we found this one, too, and luckily she fits in my dress or something. I, I missed that line. It got dropped. And I was like, why... She has good taste, I think is what she said. She has good taste. This is is my favorite dress or something like that. Oh, thank you. I I heard the taste part, but I did not get, like, what else was going on. Okay. So Dean Martin's like, look, you, you know that ICE is here in town and they're after you. 
let me make the call to Mac and I'll get him off of your back so you can have more time to get the secret out of Solaris. And so then Anne Margaret's like, oh, you're a dirty traitor. And so Mac gets on the microphone and he's like, uh, He's like, you know, everything's fine. I've taken care of everything. You Like the heat is gone or something like that. And he's like, uh, and then Max like, okay, well, we'll meet you at the, the new headquarters. And he's like, yeah, I'll see you in Washington. And so then Mac gets off the phone and he's like, everything's taking, wait a second. And everyone's like celebrating. And he's like, wait a second. He knows like the new headquarters isn't in Washington. And, and this guy hates like, bourbon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and then he's never had then, a drop of bourbon in his life. And then to draw out the suspense, because we're all dying at this point, uh, I didn't even know what was going on. Like I was like, okay, that was the first code, and then he thinks heat is the second code. I'm like, what could that be referring to? And so then he's like, wait a second, guys. He said heat does that ring a bell to you? And then he like points to someone and he's like Johnson and Smith. And then he points to the third guy and he's like furnace or wait a second. <laughs> like, so obviously furnace is the double agent. Uh, and so he decides to leap out of a window uh, and fall to his death. But before he dies, he clicks on a communicator and tells Malden like what's going on. So, you know, Right now, this guy's double-crossed you a few times, as Paul has pointed out. Let's just get rid of him. Nah, let's knock him out, <laughs> because it's a movie. So they knock out Dean Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he could have killed him. We could be done with this. Uh, and so now, Malden has decided whatever weird space-age torture they were doing to Solaris wasn't working. So now he's got out his little gyrojet gun. And, uh, which is a real thing, I guess. So he's going to shoot arrows at Anne Margaret, his daughter, until Solaris tells him what's going on. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Matt or Dean Martin has been put into some kind of device with the little tiny explosive thing we don't understand. <laughs> and he's put into some kind of like ore shaking device. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it fits with Sean's theory because this thing isn't shaking that vigorously. So maybe it will separate the chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so Solaris caves and he's like, okay, Malden, I'll, I'll tell, I'll, I give up. Don't hurt her. And then all he does is push the few control buttons on the controller thing. And I thought we were waiting for a formula or some kind of thing, but apparently it was like the correct sequence. I mean, machines are really confusing in the sixties, mm -hmm. all those switches. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, so Malden's like, okay, I'll spare her. And she's to be taken to the guest quarters, but she wants to stop and watch Dean Martin die because, you know, he tried to kill her. Uh, that's what she says. Right. And the, yep. the, the guard is like, okay, uh, we can do that. And he, and she's like, wow, this is some setup. And he's like, oh yeah, my, my dad or my uncle or something invented all these mechanic stuff to separate things. And he's like showing it off. 
And so then when he's not looking, she takes her bobby pin and sticks it into something and everything explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Martin, he escapes and Ironhead tries to shoot him with uh, his gun, but, you know, it's on a timer and such. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, then Ironhead uh, puts the bomb on his own jacket. Like he's trying to get Dean Martin to punch him there, but instead Dean Martin socks him in the gut and catches the explosion. Uh, Like now it's like some kind of contact hand grenade because if it would have touched the ground, it would have exploded. Right. Yeah. um, Again, the the mechanics of how this chemical bomb works is seems to be beyond even the miracles that headcanon can provide. It's yeah. very hard to engineer inconsistency. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Tell my audio that. Um, so Anne plays with some controls and gets scolded for almost turning on the magnet. Hmm. <laughs> I also love that the shovel and the magnet and everything here has JW on it because that's <laughs> Malden's character's name, Julian Wall or something like that. Like, He's not hiding in some secret volcano. He just really wants to fuck shit up. <laughs> like, as a person. He doesn't need an alias. He's um, just really a villain on a budget. <laughs> uh, and so, during their fight, uh, Ironhead gets picked up by the magnet, which which is really <laughs> awesome, because... Um, the controls for the magnet that she's just pushed one button and now it has spun around and headed towards the fight. And in the background where she's standing, like you see like a, a crane machine moving, like which typically would have an operator. It looks like exactly like that kind of machine, <laughs> but now I'm just being a jerk. So, uh, <clears throat> so yeah, Ironhead gets picked up because his name is Ironhead kids magnets. How do they work? Right. Uh, and a guard races Martin to his own gun, and he beats him. So he's like, well, I'm going to shoot you because I'm no Julian Wall, and I know I should kill you now. Right. <laughs> but it's Dean Martin's gun, so nothing happens. And so he's, like, looking at the gun smartly. He's the smartest character in this film because he looks at it sideways. Unfortunately, there's another guard there, and he shoots that guard <laughs> with the time delay. And that guard, as anyone who gets shot, decides to shoot that person that shot him, not thinking it was ever a mistake. So right. they take care of themselves, and Anne's like, I'll go get the boat. Uh, so meanwhile, Malden has decided he's going to shoot the doctor. But, you know, Coco, she's got a soft spot for him. And so he's like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to shoot you instead. So he shoots her. And then he knocks the doctor out and escapes in an automated chair, as you do in a villain movie. (laughs) Uh, And then, let's see, Dean Martin encounters another guard. He's like, I give up. He points the gun at his head and pulls the trigger, and of course it doesn't fire, and then he like just holds it out toward the guard, and the guard gets shot. Um, He and Solaris watch Malden escape in the hovercraft, which was last parked in town. Right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. The hovercraft seems to autopilot its way into different places a couple times in the movie. <laughs> Much like it's the crane. A... Yes. Yes. It's got a homing beacon. Yep. Uh, 
yeah, maybe Malden just like, you know, got on his watch and he was like, Kit, meet me at the island. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) only it would have obviously been Kit's evil, uh, twin car car instead, but you know, wow. Night automated roving robot. Yeah. I know that what that initials mean. (laughs) Wow. Good for me. Uh, I need a life. Uh, so Anne finds another hovercraft, you know, the, the island is sick with them, really. Uh, <laughs> and, and they go after him because even though uh, Solaris set the machine in the building they were just in, now he has control of the helio beam from the hovercraft. Uh, so this hovercraft is about, this chase is about as boring as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Malden is like the worst shot in the universe. Like, it... He is so bad, which is great for the film and great for the writing. He is so bad at, at like shooting that um, even uh, Dean Martin says, "Well, like if if he if he shoots like that, he's not going to hit Washington; he'll hit Pennsylvania or something." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Anne is driving. So for a sexist movie, I was impressed. Uh, and I swear, like she's like because they're getting shot at so like she's like we have to shoot back and he's like how are we gonna do that and so uh she starts pushing buttons and the first one says like fasten seat belts and the second one <laughs> says no smoking <laughs> and, and i swear to god that like solaris like broke character and is laughing in the background yes like right it was great and um i've only been in so, this movie for five minutes and i know that that's hilarious <laughs> yes yes (laughs) i I was like just praising the film at that point where i was like yay the woman is driving and then when she couldn't get the guns to work i was like oh movie you jerk (laughs) right yeah uh so martin eventually jumps on to the other other hovercraft while uh malden is reloading his gun and so malden throws i think the gun at him instead of shooting him i he threw something at him which i thought was funny and then Anne jumps onto the hovercraft and uses the driver's tie to strangle him. So, mm-hmm. uh, note to self, ties are not safe. Um, <laughs> well, unless you keep them tucked in like Chrome Dome does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Malden decides to try to shoot Martin with his own gun after they struggled a little bit. And we all know how this gag works. Right. So <laughs> It's about like, the seventh time the bad guy has shot themselves with the trick gun. Yeah. Somehow yeah. none of them have ever been present when the trick gun goes off. <laughs> yeah, like they've never heard of it before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm interested to watch the next couple films to see if this gag reappears. Um, <laughs> Every no, Nobody actually dies by Dean Martin's hand. They just all die by his trick gun going off in a in a in the wrong way. What really so, kills uh, everyone is incompetence. <laughs> That's why you're always the henchman and never the villain. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so basically, what I thought was fun too is when they leave the hovercraft because uh, Dean Martin takes like the cartridge from his gun, which you know, if you remove a time delayed cartridge from a time delayed gun, it's going to explode. That's just physics. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yep. Uh, he, he puts it in the hovercraft, and then to leave the hovercraft, they break like the fifth window of the hovercraft, which I thought was curious because it was right in front of the ladder. <laughs> right. But... 
<laughs> um, and they jump in the water, and then the hovercraft goes boom, and I think the world has been saved. Yep. And then, strangely enough, uh, instead of like Solaris pulling up in the other hovercraft, because as Paul has pointed out, the movie finally understands that hovercraft are a real bitch to control. <laughs> right. Um, so you can't just like stop and save two people out of the water. So he just doesn't appear. Um, instead, it's a helicopter being piloted by Billy, yeah. our boy from Yale. Yep. And uh, Mac is riding with them. So that was interesting. And then strangely, an entirely different helicopter comes to rescue them. <laughs> yes yet another yet another area of the movie where like you think one thing's happening and then a totally different thing happens <laughs> yes yeah and and dean martin has another solid joke here he's like whoa a boat and a helicopter i'm sending all my kids to yale <laughs> right uh, so then we cut to dean and ann partying at his place and she's like, oh, this is a nice place. It's nice to be making out in your bed. But uh, I sure wish we were back in Monte Carlo so we could go swimming. And then he pushes the button, dumps them into the hot tub, which thankfully has been renovated. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's the film. I mean, there's a bunch of women in there looking at them. Right. The calendar girls from yep. the photo shoot. I don't really understand why, but uh Okay. <laughs> and one of They've them hauls out a there. gun. Oh, that's right. And then it gives that's us right. the uh uh to be continued basically. And they right. give us the name of the next movie as well, which I don't remember what it is. The no, Avengers, because... I assume. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> the Hulk and yeah. Right. No, it's the ambushers cuz he's like, that's "Oh no, right, it's an ambush." Yeah. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, that was the film. That was, uh, once again, my meticulous uh, layout of the entire plot because you needed to know these things. <laughs> <laughs> Went a little long, and I apologize. But I will say that uh, when you were talking about the trick gun, there is a movie, it's an HBO film, and it's from the 90s that I really like called Mom and Dad Save the Universe. And it's. Do you, it about? do you know the Do you know the film or oh, okay? Um, Terry Gar and the principal from Ferris Bueller Days Off Days Day Off, they're like going on vacation and they get sucked up into like some kind of space beam with their kids and uh, they're being sucked up by another planet and the evil dictator is John Lovitz. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, there's a scene in the movie later on that I'm spoiling, but it's not a spoiler because it's so great. Um, They are showing the Earthling, like, the weapons that the bad guys use, and, like, we've confiscated some of them, but, uh, you know, they're diabolical. And he's like, okay, like, what? And they're like, this is a light grenade. And he's like, okay. And they're like, once you pull this pin, if anyone picks it up, they're immediately just killed disintegrated and he's like okay well why would i pick it up then and the guy's like ah and he turns it over and on the other side it says pick me up (laughs) and so this is like an ongoing gag in the movie like that is so great like the henchmen are just like oh my gosh like 
I found the earthling. He's laying in this bed, but he has a light grenade for a head. And the other guy's like, that's not possible. And he picks it up and he disappears. <laughs> so he's like, I better call in for backup. And they're like, this isn't the earthling. That's just a light grenade. And he's like, where's the light grenade? Right here. You know, it just keeps going and going. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, that that was the film. Uh what 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 do you think, Sean? Did you think it was? Uh, did it have some entertaining value or no? I mean, I thought it was extremely entertaining. I probably enjoyed it for reasons that the movie did not intend to be enjoyed. I guess you know. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I thought the I thought the one liners were fantastic. Um, the attitude of the movie just came seems to keep going back and forth between. You know, this is a spy movie versus this is not a spy movie. And the way the way Matt is dressed half the time screams, <laughs> this is not James Bond. <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite outfit of his in this is the one that he wears when he first spontaneously appears at the, uh, I want to call it the quarry. I don't necessarily think it's a quarry, but the, you know, the charcoal mine and and he's wearing like a this weird black uh windbreaker and blue jeans and i'm like what and he's just like tumbling down the down the charcoal uh hills <laughs> are you are you trying to be stealthy are you are you actually trained as a spy or is the reality that you're a photographer that this guy really trusts and he send you sent you in as a spy? I don't understand what is going on now. Yes. Um, and I, I, I read like a plot synopsis of the first film and it turns out that he is a retired spy, but he's called back into active duty in the first film. And I'm like, oh, that would have helped to know this a little bit in this movie because he's the laziest spy I've ever met. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did, definitely doesn't want to be there anymore doing any of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, half of his scenes when he's captured or something, he usually has a drink in his hand. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, too. Like, uh, I think I made a comment on one of the social media accounts where I was like, Anne Margaret's dancing is like completely the opposite energy that Dean Martin is putting in this entire film. <laughs> yeah. I think the intent was that they would balance each other out, but, but I don't think that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, and it's fun. It's about as balanced as a speedball. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's fun that uh, Dean Martin is playing Dean Martin, but it's just like, it, <laughs> There's another movie that I have on the list that I used to like when I was younger and watch on the film, watch when it was like on on uh, TV. But it's like there's two films, and I think one of them came out the same year, and it's called the. Uh, it's either in like Flint or Our Man Flint, mm. and uh, those movies star James Coburn, um, and he he's all in. He is all in on that character, so it'll be interesting to compare the two films because I love Dean Martin when he's playing Dean Martin in uh, Cannonball Run. Him and Sammy Davis Jr. are hilarious together. But yeah, here it's just like, ah, in the scene, I'll just do this, right? This is good, right? 
Yeah, I mean, he has this sort of irreverent self-awareness that he carries through the entire movie. Like, just a lot of, like, winking at the camera and nudging, almost, as if he's trying to tell the audience that this is all a big joke. Yeah, and it's, like, it's either, like, some of the other characters aren't playing it up enough for us to get it, or, I, I don't know, it's just, it's getting lost at times, I think. Or maybe it just needs a better editor. <laughs> <laughs> cut some of these things together more seamlessly i don't know i i definitely was entertained so i do i think it's like so bad it's good i'm not sure about that <laughs> i mean they definitely thought it was funny um but yeah it's not it, it's not something like the room where it's just so tremendously awful that you just kind of stare in amazement at it <laughs> <laughs> true I mean, are you kind of with us there paul yeah, I think I am. I think I'm in the um this is worth a watch if you if you are bored and you come across it. Um it will it will entertain you. Uh as Sean said, probably not for the reasons that it originally intended. Um and, you know, if you have an awareness that this is a um <laughs> if you have an awareness that this is a 60s movie full of a a normal quote unquote normal 60s level of misogyny on top of the fact that it's also a spy movie on top of the fact that it's a spy movie that doesn't take itself seriously and so some of that may even be exaggerated tongue-in-cheek misogyny um factor all of those things in and you'll kind of you you may find yourself entertained by this movie that's a good that's uh that's a good way to put it. I think like uh I felt like he was very tongue in cheek about everything where I feel like if you can like go over the top like a Michael Myers or something like that. Mike Myers, not My, Michael, Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Yeah. That's yes. a totally Quite different, a different movie. Really slays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a scary film now. Um <laughs> But yeah, it just yeah he he just had this like it, like you said it's like like Sean said it's like this self awareness kind of fun but in the end it was like hmm yeah maybe it was just too long you know? I think yeah. that's I think that's what it suffers from I think there's a number of parts of it where it's like okay we didn't need this many kaleidoscope shots <laughs> we didn't the chase need... scenes could have been half as long yeah the chase scenes could have been half as long the hovercraft spiraling out of control probably could have happened a lot sooner because it's a hovercraft and it would have happened a lot sooner. Um, that's just kind of <laughs> the overall gist. Yeah. It probably could have been about an hour 10 instead of an hour 40 <laughs> all told. And, and I think it's probably too, because it was rushed and probably didn't have a great budget that like they, couldn't afford to do like the cool stunts so you try to like half-ass like five stunts instead and so it could have been so much shorter yeah yeah yep hey we went long so sorry uh but enjoy us while you're walking in the park driving your dog to the park or eating in a park because all of your life revolves around the park this <laughs> message brought to you by parks uh, <laughs> they're all around you Visit one. <laughs> That's the tagline, I guess, for parks. <laughs> yeah, just visit one. Did you visit one? Don't ever come back again. Okay. 
Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, Sean, for joining us on short notice. I super appreciate that. Yeah, this is fun. Cool. And, uh, maybe I have, uh, everyone scheduled out, but, uh, I know like I have a couple people who are like, ah, I might, you know, cause I scheduled shows all the way out until like June. So I have a couple people who are like, I hope I can still be available that day, but Definitely, if we can get you back for our man Flint, it would be cool to like have you uh, give your opinion on the two. <laughs> I'm always down to talk about bad, campy movies. I'm excited to hear that. Awesome. Thank you again. Uh, we will be back on the 15th live or, you know, whenever we get to editing <laughs> with the next episode uh, with uh our friend Jen Garcia, who helped us do Supergirl last season, and yes. we're going to be watching watching <laughs> the film Wanted, which uh, is kind of in the spy genre. And yeah, I started watching it in a hotel room with my spouse, and we got through the first five minutes, and we're like, "This is a terrible movie." And then we had to change the channel to watch a film we already saw before. So nice. <laughs> Nice. That's that was the audition. I was like, well, film frown, done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's when we'll be back. And uh, I think the last thing that I have to say is uh, the the closing line, which we stole from Buckaroo Banzai, which is uh, wherever you are, there you are. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> who follow you.